This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 7.35 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana, Philip, and Jensen. In half an hour, we have The Breakfast Grill. It's going to be an interesting conversation today. That's right. I'll be speaking to Emir Salim Yuxel. He's Turkey's ambassador to Malaysia as we have a deeper conversation about the recent earthquake that took place in Turkey. It was a seismic one. I think a magnitude of 7.8 struck southern and central Turkey. I think close to over 41,000 dead to date. It is one of the strongest earthquakes ever recorded in that region and I think in Turkey's history and really we've never seen something as devastating as this since 2010 in Haiti. So a lot to discuss with the ambassador in terms of how the country is coping with this disaster and what they're doing really in the aftermath um, to provide uh, the shelter and, and humanitarian aid to those affected and what reconstruction is going to look like. Yep. All this and more after the 8 a.m. news bulletin. In the meantime, though, let's uh, take a look inward to our region, the Southeast Asian region, uh, and by extension ASEAN, we have the unenviable position of being caught between two geopolitical giants that's China and the U.S., of course. The past four years have seen simmering tensions between the two as they vie for economic and security dominance. Concerns that this may spill over and negatively impact ASEAN have become more acute with the outbreak of the war in Ukraine as well as the hawkish rhetoric over the Taiwan Straits. ASEAN itself remains a house divided with different shades of loyalty to either the U.S. or China within individual member states. How have the the developments of the past year affected those in Southeast Asia's view the power competition and the effectiveness of ASEAN as a multilateral bloc to navigate the dynamics. So the latest State of Southeast Asia survey conducted by the IC's Yusuf Isha Institute sheds light on some of these perspectives. And for insights from the report, we speak to Sharon Sia, Senior Fellow at the IC's Yusuf Isha Institute. Sharon, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Let's dive straight into some of the findings of the report. Now, we know the top challenges in Southeast Asia identified by respondents are economic and security related. What are the factors driving these concerns? These are mainly bread and butter issues, you know, cost of living, outstripping income increases, income disparities coming out of the pandemic. And uh, people worry that the region's supply chains are not resilient enough. So these are some of the factors that are reflected in uh, the responses. In terms of security, there's a heightened sense that countries around the Asia Pacific are increasing their military spending, such as Japan, India. And the visit by Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, last year in August was also a wake-up call for the region as the Taiwan Strait remains one of the biggest flashpoints in our region. Although China remains the most influential economic, political and strategic power in the region, ratings though have declined from the previous year. How do attitudes towards China compare across different countries? I think the decline in ratings has to do uh, with China just coming out of its long zero COVID lockdown. And it happened in December, which is about the time that the survey was being conducted. So the region has been feeling the impact of China's long closure in terms of supply chain uncertainties, tourism not returning to the region, and dampened demand coming out of China. And then watching China's about turn on its zero COVID, it really caused... um, watchers here to question the wisdom of such a sudden move so that aspect of economic influence could have been affected. Uh, In terms of country-level responses, we see that Cambodia, Laos, Malaysia, Philippines, Thailand and Vietnam have recorded greater worries about China's economic rise. 
Um, but reversing this trend of uh, lesson worries about China's political strategic power, actually Cambodia, Malaysia, Thailand and Vietnam expressed greater worry this year, whereas Brunei, Laos, Indonesia, Myanmar and Singapore welcome China's influence. So there's been a bit of a shift in the region we see here towards China. Sharon, perceptions towards the US have improved over the course of the year. What accounts for this shift? I think through the year, because of the fewer touch points between China and Southeast Asia, again due to its own domestic zero-COVID policies, it feels as if the Biden administration had more face time in this region. Uh, we see uh, President Biden coming uh, to meet with the leaders at G20. Uh, he had a meeting with Hun Sen in November as well. Kamala Harris was in Thailand. Uh, the Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman, was in Laos. And all of that, we did not see uh, Chinese leaders coming out of uh, the country. So it does look like as if the Biden administration did make a good effort to sustain its engagement in Southeast Asia. Okay, so on the surface of it, at least they had more face time than they did in the past. Uh, but I think the question that we have here in Southeast Asia is, are we going to be made to choose? And given that U.S.-China tensions continue to percolate, um, is there, I guess, an idea on which way Southeast Asian countries would lean if they were forced to make that choice? Mm. We gave a false binary choice question in the survey, uh, which is, you know, if ASEAN were forced to align itself, which one of the two would you choose? 61.1% this year say they will choose the US. Uh, you might like to know that of, of these findings, interestingly, more Malaysians will choose China over the US. And uh, across the region, 38.9% would choose China. So the U.S.'s popularity in this aspect has actually risen in countries like Cambodia and Laos, countries that are traditionally, you know, they have frosty ties with the U.S. due to disagreements over issues like human rights. And um, its popularity, the U.S.'s popularity actually dropped in countries like Myanmar and Singapore. So I think in terms of where it would go in the future, it really depends on who is seen as the one protecting international trade, rules-based order, securing peace in this region. And on championing global trade, the US ranks second to ASEAN, but still ahead of China in fourth place. Whereas in terms of protecting the international rules-based order, the US is top, whereas China is ranked sixth place. So if it's one or the other provoking tensions or conflict, then this weather vane will shift again. Yeah. Which third parties are favoured to hitch the strategic rivalry between China and the US? Traditionally, the EU and Japan are our favourites in this region. Surprisingly, this year, India, which was ranked last place uh, in 2022, became the third place option for Southeast Asia overtaking Australia. So it might be surprising to us, but we must remember that India starts from a very low base because there's actually very little trust towards India from this region. And Sharon, what are the prevailing attitudes towards ASEAN as a bloc and how the institutions sh should be strengthened? Well, the past three years have shown us how quickly developments can evolve. From pandemic to border closures to Myanmar coup to the Ukraine war, all of these problems were neither of ASEAN's creation nor were they within ASEAN's control. So the greatest concern that our respondents express is that ASEAN is too slow and ineffective to respond to these fluid developments. And also they've seen that the economic integration process within ASEAN has been proceeding at a relatively slower pace because governments in this region, 
take you know granted they have to work on other pressing issues such as saving lives and livelihoods recovering faster from the pandemic so we see that in the past when ASEAN was in a relatively stable uh, stage the concern then was that ASEAN was becoming elitist and disconnected. But now with these geopolitical developments happening very quickly, the expectation they want to see is that ASEAN, please move a little faster, make your decisions quicker and uh, respond and show that we are a united and coherent bloc in the region. Because if not, then it risks being come irrelevant, isn't it? That's the biggest concern. And That's I right. Think... And it is becoming, uh, you know, an arena for great power competition in this region, right? And so just building on that topic, you know, our Prime Minister, Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim, has been a bit more muscular in his tone with respect to how to deal with Myanmar. Do you think ASEAN can unite behind his push? I think Prime Minister Anwar has been a long-time uh, watcher and uh, also very actively involved in ASEAN. He knows the ASEAN uh, DNA. And what he's saying is that, you know, the the kind of approach that ASEAN has been taken, taking with the five-point consensus doesn't seem to be working. Is it time to try something new? And I think there seems to be appetite uh, within the region now to try to be a little bit more innovative and mm-hmm. creative with regards to the Myanmar issue. Um, I don't know. I, I, For me, I see that there is a divide between the maritime and continental ASEAN countries over the issue of Myanmar. The preference for the continental countries is not to interfere, uh, whereas the maritime countries, meaning our original five, uh, are more uh, ahead. They want to see uh, more actions done uh, to try to bring the SAC out into dialogue with the other uh, stakeholders within Myanmar. Um, okay. So I don't know how it's going to bridge that gap. That's yeah. definitely something to watch in the year to he- ahead. Very quickly, Sharon, in the 30 seconds or so that we have, is there appetite to enlarge the membership of ASEAN? We know that Timor-Leste is knocking on the door. Mm. Mm. Well, 6 out of 10 Southeast Asians support Timor-Leste's membership. And of this group, almost 50% say admitting Timor-Leste will enhance ASEAN's unity and centrality. Another 40% say it will increase intra-regional trade and investment. So it's very positive. The other 4 in 10 who either object or say that they are not sure think that uh, Timor-Leste will slow down ASEAN's economic integration. So I think the appetite is quite evident. Sharon, thanks very much for speaking with us today. That was Sharon Sia, Senior Fellow at the ICS Yusuf Isha Institute, giving us some insights from the State of Southeast Asia survey. If you do have time, take a look at the survey. It's really fascinating to see the nuances and how different countries answer different questions. It's well worth a read. I always had this impression that, you know, ASEAN was divided into two, maritime and continental, and they have very differing views. But actually, the survey points out to more distinctive differences even at the specific nations. Indeed. 7.46 in the morning. We're heading into a quick break, but when we come back, we'll discuss the rights of children in state detention and what Malaysia needs to do better in this regard. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.